I just wanted to know how you got to be captain. Like, how did you start off? Did you have a love of the ocean? Did you always want to be at sea when from a little boy, or how did how did it come about? It was a bit of uh, I, I didn't really come into this career actually from my you know from a very young age thinking that that was going to be my career. Um, to be honest, through my I suppose teenage years, as you get towards that time of working out what you do, you get through that usual, I want to be a fireman, I want to be a policeman, I want to do this. I wanted to go into the forces and I actually spent a little bit of time in the reserve forces when I was in my uh, teenage years. And um, it was a case of when I didn't get into the regulars, uh, you know, into the the, uh, British forces on a regular basis, I I needed to have a career. And I thought, well, I didn't really have a plan at that stage. So I thought my dad had been at sea, well, let's give that a go. Um, my dad had worked at sea and he had his own um, cargo securing company so I had been around ships um, I'd been around you know um, port operations so that kind of thing was in my back of my mind and because he had regaled some quite interesting stories uh, of his time at sea I thought well maybe that's an interesting career so I tried um, I approached the various uh, employment agencies, you know, that were recruiting for seafarers at the time, and um, one one agency in particular, a company called Chilton Maritime, they were taking on cadets, and what they do is you, you go to an agency and then they look at other companies that are prepared to take you on for a cadetship. So I started with, I was offered uh, about three companies when I first started, and uh, I took BP, and I, uh, I started my career with British Petroleum, a, a tanker company, and I joined my first ship in uh, Fumachina. Back in uh, 1989, <laughs> so it was uh, quite an interesting time, um, you know. And I, I, your career starts with about a—it's a bit like an apprenticeship. So you, you start with a company, you follow the Merchant Navy Training Board guidelines. You go uh, spend part time at sea, part time on on land and in college, um, and then at the end of the three or four years, you do your final exams, both written and oral. And hopefully, if you've passed, you then get your first certificate of competency, which allows you to be an officer to watch on a, on a ship, which I did. And um, so I carried on with BP for a, another four or five years after that. So I did uh, just under the eight, eight well, just over the eight years with them initially, before I ventured in towards uh, going into the cruise line industry. So I, I approached um, P&O Cruises at the time, and um, they were happy to take me on at that time. I started at a, a more junior rank than I'd been working at within BP, moved across and uh, did about a year with them. My first ship was the uh, was actually the Victoria. Oh. So I did the old Sea Princess and then I did the uh, Canberra. Um, and then when the camp I was on the, I was flags officer on the Canberra when she finally sailed from Southampton on her final voyage um, to India. Um, and then the, the last uh, ship I was with uh, was um, the Arcadia, the second Arcadia, not, not the initial Arcadia, the second Arcadia. Yeah. Um, and that was, was basically where I, where I was, and I, I went back to BP after that. I spent, uh, about a, I spent about a year with them um, and then decided that uh, I'd move back to the tankers. So I went back as a second mate and then became chief officer with, with BP. So uh, that was that was another three years um, before mm. I decided to come back to cruising again. Well, it must have been different working on a tanker to obviously working on a cruise ship because, you know, not many. How many people are on a tanker? 
At that time, we had about 23, 24. Okay. So uh, sometimes up to 27, depending on the size of the ship. So I worked on everything from a small product carrier all the way up to a VLCC. Um, also worked on LNG ships as well. So carrying oil around the world is is, um, is quite a, a, you know, you get to go to places you wouldn't normally uh, get to go, but also <laughs> you get to see a lot of sea. You spend a lot of time at sea. I mean, uh, uh, one trip would have been from a, a port in the Arabian Sea all the way round the Cape of Good Hope, all the way back up to Europe and discharging in Rotterdam. Then you come back down, go through the through the Mediterranean, through the Suez, back up into the Red Sea. You then basically head back down again, round the Cape of Good Hope, and get off by helicopter, and that would be five months. Wow. So, yeah, it's a totally different type of, of career at that stage. But it was great for, you know, the learning the basics and, mm. and getting... Uh, I believe I had a great uh, opportunity with BP to get me set me on the right road. Um, and then I, I was lucky enough to, to be taken on by B&O and then I progressed my, my time with them. Yeah, so how many years have you been with Winstar now? Just two. Okay. Uh, I came in uh, 2022, so February 22. And now you're on Starbreeze. Which ship were you on before? I started off on the Windsurf, which is my, my first. So I started off on the flagship, which is fantastic. Loved it. Um, then I went across to the Legend, Star Legend, and then I went back to the, went back to the surf again. And then back to the legend again, and now I'm on Star Breeze. And for the foreseeable future, I believe this is supposed to be where I am. It's like any plan, though, it is a plan and subject to change. <laughs> well, speaking of, <laughs> we were going to be going to the Tuamotu's because this is Star Breeze's first cruise since it was announced that she would be taking over what Star Spirit was doing, Wind Spirit, um, which departed Papiete the same time as we did. So it was off because it was based here for 10 years and now Star Breeze is going to be the ship based here. So it's French Polynesia is going to be your new home. Absolutely, yes. And it's your first trip. And uh, you were saying that some of the reef entries have to be accessed by a pilot um, and until such time as you can get your certificate up. For, uh, tell us a bit about that. Well, basically, um, the, the requirements in this region are that until you have a, what, what's known as a pilotage exemption certificate, um, which is granted by the, the French Maritime Authority in the region, um, you have to take a pilot. Uh, and obviously, we have a, a pilot who comes on the ships to, during the various society islands um, to, to basically counsel, guide, tutor, uh, until I'm up to a level where I'm, uh, they're happy for me to go and sit in front of the maritime board um, and then I will get assessed um, as to my competency for, for continuing with that pilotage exemption. Because again, some of the reefs, it's, it's related to you know, the weather conditions, the, 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 the tidal currents and you know, the winds in certain directions make it very difficult. But you must be knowledgeable enough to understand that. You won't have a pilot to back you up. So yeah. they must, it's like anything else, they're doing their due diligence to make sure that I'm competent enough to operate a ship with uh, 500 souls on board in this region. Yeah. So I, I fully appreciate that it's something that needs to be done. And until such time, we'll carry a pilot or we'll embark a pilot in each port yeah. that I'm not familiar with. So, well, we do know that reefs means shallow sometimes. Mm-hmm. So 
<laughs> we don't want you running aground, so that's uh, good. That's, that's not my, not my <laughs> aim at all. <laughs> now, because of uh, the weather, the weather makes changes all the time. So we were going to be doing the tour motus and society islands, but because of a cyclone, we had to kind of change that plan. So it was with great delight that I found out we we were going to be going to the Marquesas. So, and that was obviously your and your team's decision. So how how did that come about? Um, Well, we started having a a look about 30 hours or 48 hours to 30 hours before we were due to continue with our normal itinerary. Um, And I was looking at the weather and thinking, it, this is going to start getting a little bit uncomfortable and, and to be honest with Windstar it's about the guest experience um, as I said to the, I've said to the guests when they've gone on board this is not a, an endurance course this is about enjoying your time enjoying the experience um, and also having experienced bad weather um, on the smaller ships and also understanding that that also impacts the local tours everything else that you would normally enjoy even if you manage to get into a location a lot of the, 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 the great experiences that we offer would not be available. So, look with that, with myself and the team had a look at what was available. So again, we started to engage the local authorities um, and uh, our agents and, and even the local pilot, um, Olivier, who's been with us for quite a few crew, uh, quite a few reports now. And he was uh, making some suggestions and say, we obviously we looked at the weather map and thought, this is, you know, these islands over here are out of the... Uh, out of the, uh, the cyclone region, so is it possible to get there? So we went and explored uh, the possibility, and then once we had that information to hand, um, with some reasonable um, confidence that it would we'd be able to in, you know to make it work, um, we then engaged that plan and then advised the guests accordingly. Obviously, mindful that any change is is always um, sometimes disappointing to guests. 